This morning, we resume our study of the book of Acts. The early church, from its birth to the day of, in the day, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, all the way through the 300s AD, lived in almost constant persecution. We've been going through this book of Acts and, and talking about it under the heading of Acts, Jesus' Gospel Gathering for Gospel Going. What is this book all about? What is What was the early church all about? Well, the early church was Jesus' gospel gathering, His people bought by the blood of Christ on the cross and gathered together around the gospel, that as we gather around the gospel, we might in turn go with the gospel in, in fulfillment of the great commission Jesus gave when he told the early church and, and told his disciples that they would be his witnesses when, when his power had come upon them, Acts 1 verse 8, he said, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus' gospel gathering for gospel going. The truth of the church is that we are still the same today. That's who we are. That's why we are. And if we're about anything else, then we're off kilter. We're out of sync with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the, the, the life and witness of the early church in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 13 of his own kingdom in verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. You see this morning, we, if you know Jesus Christ, we are part of the kingdom of God, a no earthly party or earthly government based in heaven, Christ following empire that has no earthly headquarters or base and reaches into every nation, language, tribe, sphere of geopolitical activity and diversity, as well as every economic strata. This is his kingdom, and his kingdom is always on the move, whether it's perceived by humanity or not. You turn on the evening news, it doesn't look like the kingdom of God's going anywhere today, does it? Right? That's the, that's the sense you get when you watch the, the evening news, and yet the kingdom of God is advancing strongly and vigorously all around the world, even in the most unlikely of places like Iran. You know, if we were to look at the kingdom of God and we, as we think about it, where should it be running and going and, and spreading like wildfire based on a human perspective? Right here where we sit. And yet the church in America, this whole center of Christianity, is shifting away from America to other places in the world like China or Indonesia and, and even, even Iran. I want to talk to you this morning based on Acts chapter 12 about how the Word of God, how the kingdom of God through the Word of God grows. How the Word of God grows. You'll see where I get that title in just a moment. Here's the take-home truth. God will advance His kingdom no matter what as we share the good news of Jesus. God will advance His kingdom no matter what as we share the good news of Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 12 is really an explanation of the no matter what in that, in that statement. It's an account of, uh, of several things. First of all, it's an account of a divinely allowed execution. Uh, then it's a, an account of a divinely orchestrated escape from prison. And finally, we see in this chapter a divinely caused 
eaten by worms' death. Yes, eaten by worms' death. And in all three of these circumstances or happenings, God is advancing His kingdom as Luke's summary in verse 24 of this chapter. If you glance down there in your Bibles or take a look at it on the screen, as He wraps up this chapter after telling us about these three circumstances, it says, but the Word of God increased and multiplied. God will advance His kingdom no matter what. No matter if there's executions, no matter if there's escapes, no matter if there are eaten by worms kind of deaths happening in our world. Our God is sovereign over and works through, works his purposes through, first of all, notice with me in verses 1 and 2, executions. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Luke says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Uh, we, we believe that means he beheaded him with the sword. We believe James, the brother of John, was beheaded at this time by Herod. You'll remember that Jesus had said to James and his brother John, the sons of thunder, when they were arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said to those men, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with a baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. He was referring to his own death, his own, his own death for righteousness' sake. And here in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, we see that prophetic word of Christ fulfilled in the life and the death of James. You see, James was not martyred in Acts 12, verse 2, because God couldn't save him but rather because God had greater purposes for His own glory that would come through the death of James. Tertullian said, We multiply whenever we are mown down by you. He spoke to the Roman Empire and he said, We multiply whenever we're mown down by you. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. And it's interesting when we look to the end of Scripture and we, 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 we want to... Maybe you, you, you wonder about, about, about all this, about guys like James and Stephen, those that are martyred. What does heaven think about the martyrs? Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11 tells us, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long before you make it right with those who've killed us for the sake of Christ? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What does heaven think about? The martyrs is a special place in heaven. They'll receive a special reward. In this passage, the, the, the angelic beings, God himself gives the, the martyrs encouragement, just hang on because it's not all over yet. And the deal is there's more of you to come. There are more who must die for the name that the nations may know the name of Christ. There are more who must die for the name of Jesus yet to come in. Just hang on. And when they've all come in, when all of my martyrs have come in, when all of the ones whose, whose, whose deaths I will use for my glory and for the advance of the kingdom 
when they've come in, it's then that I'll avenge your blood on those on earth. There's a new book out called The Martyr's Oath written by a man named Johnny Moore. And Johnny Moore took the, the title of this book and, and, and the general idea of it from something he experienced in India with a, a man that I've had the opportunity of, uh, of having in, our, in, in, in my church to preach. I've, I've talked with him, had, I've been able to eat meals with him. He's passed away now. Uh, Dr. M.A. Thomas from, from, from India. And every time they would have a Bible school graduation, he would train pastors. As people would come to Jesus and, and grow in the Lord there in India, he would be training pastors in, in sort of a pastor's school. And every time they would graduate a class, those graduates, before they were given their diploma, before they were fully graduated, would, would have to make the martyr's oath. And here's the way it went. I stand with the Apostle Paul in stating that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I take a stand in honor to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with my hands to serve all mankind. I take a stand to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with my feet to spread the gospel to, the, to all the ends of the earth no matter what the cost. I take a stand to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with my lips by proclaiming the good news to all who hear and by edifying the body of Christ. I take a stand to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with my mind as I meditate upon His Word and His promises to me. I give my earthly treasures and all that I possess to follow the way of the cross. I commit, my, to, I commit to love my family, orphans, widows, lepers, big problem in India, the wealthy and the poor, the way that Christ love the church. I surrender my will and life to His will and life. I commit to the service of the Lord by being a good steward of my time. I surrender this body on earth to the perfect will of Jesus, and should my blood be spilled, may it bring forth a mighty harvest of souls. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I will seek to honor His command. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Lord Jesus, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Could you make that oath today? Have you made that oath to Jesus? Hear me. That is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. That is the cost that you must pay if you would truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. You may be here today deceived into thinking that you're a follower of Jesus Christ because you've not given your life to him that way. You may think that just because you believe some propositional truths about Jesus and what he did on the cross, that that's all it takes. There's no, there's no cost. You don't have to lay your life down for him. You don't have to stand bold for him in the face of a world that hates him. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in, in, in this sinful generation, I'll be ashamed of you before my father's throne. Jesus said, you need to count the cost. Jesus said, here's what it means to follow me. You must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. You must put yourself to death every day and carry your own cross and every day live a life of self-crucifixion for the glory of Jesus in your life. You see, the, the, the life lesson under this point of executions is this. Sometimes God works most when we perceive His presence the least. And in this case, even in the executions of his children. Even though James was killed, Luke says, the word of God grew and multiplied. God used that. And God will advance his kingdom no matter what as we share the good news of Jesus. And God is advancing his kingdom 
rapid fire all around the world in places like Iran and Sudan and Somalia, Eritrea and, and, and Africa and other places where the church is heavily persecuted. Listen to me. It is not slowing down the kingdom. They can't extinguish the gospel. You, you, know, how, you know how Satan best works to get the gospel cooled off? By giving lives like you and I have to people. Our God is sovereign over and works His purposes in and through not only executions, but sometimes amazing escapes. Look at verses 3 through 19. And when he, that is Herod, saw that it, that is the, the beheading of James, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, you remember James was a believer, the Jews hated Christians, they, they thought they were blasphemers following after this supposed Messiah named Jesus. So when Herod lopped off James's head, it pleased the Jews. And so what did Herod do? He proceeded to arrest Peter also. Well, man, I'll just, I'll just add fuel to the fire. I'll just do more. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. That's about 16 soldiers. One man, 16 soldiers. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. The implication and the assumption here is for his execution. Listen to verse 5. What a beautiful verse. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. One of my seminary professors, Bill Larkin, says this of this verse. Luke skillfully juxtaposes the power of the state, so Peter was kept in prison, with the power of the church, that is prayer, that, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Who you reckon won? Hello? The state will never win against holy God, King of kings, Lord of lords. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. I mean, they got him. They got him locked down, tied up, watched over, the whole deal. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Middle of the night, Peter's asleep. He has no idea what's going on. He, he, he's having to get step-by-step -step instructions. You know, parents, you know how it is when, you're, when your kids are little and, and you're trying to get them through the night without them wetting the bed? Y'all with me? And so what you have to do for you go, you know, you put them to bed about 8, 9 o'clock. <clears throat> Make sure they take care of business then. But then before you go to bed, 10, 11 o'clock, you know, one more time, because I don't want to get, I don't want this mess in the night where I got to change sheets and all that. So 11 o'clock, you get them up, and, and you know, it's like this, just, you kind of, you kind of walk them. You feel like a, a, a marionette, uh, guy, right? Just like you're, like you're just pulling the strings and kind of guiding them. You get them in the right place and position for, for their business, and they get that done. You kind of get them back to bed the same way. That's kind of what's happening with this angel and Peter. And when he went out, verse 9, and, and he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. 
thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. The angel gets him a, a block over from the jail and disappears. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure, he's awake now, that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Left the poor guy standing there. He's, he just got busted out of jail by an angel. He's ready to see the church and tell him. And Rhoda, <laughs> Rhoda runs off in her joy. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. There was a Jewish tradition that, that said sometimes uh, your angel would, would come back after your death, and so there was, this, there was this superstition that was out there, and that's what they started thinking. Now, now, again, where had these people been? What were they doing at Mary's house? Huh? They were gathered together and were praying. The Verse, verse 5 said they were praying earnestly. How, how many times do you and I pray like that? We're praying with all we got, but we don't really believe God's going to come through. When the answer is right here in front of us, we think, oh, I mean, we make up, we, we go to some worldly superstition to explain what just happened when we've been praying. Right? There's a lesson to learn here, isn't there? In two directions. Number one, we ought to believe the divine power of God, the, the mighty power of God to answer prayer. But number two, we ought to be thankful to God that even when we don't believe and are faithful to pray, God will still answer, even in spite of our lack of faith even in our surprise and shock when God actually comes through. Verse 16, But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. This would obviously be not the James that just died, but James, the brother of our Lord. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries, sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Those 16 guards that were in charge of Peter, they died. Then he went down from Judea, Herod, to Caesarea and spent time there. There was a, there was a palace there on, on the coast and he went down and hung out there. You know, sometimes God works through an execution, but sometimes he glorifies himself through a miraculous angel-led escape. And this escape made clear the power of God in answer to earnest prayer. Amen? Peter was kept in prison, verse 5, but the church earnestly prayed. Him. And what happened? God set him free. Samuel Zwemer said this, The history of missions is the history of answered prayer. I am convinced that when we stand before God, we will discover that, that every soul ever brought to a knowledge of Christ was in some way related to intercessory prayer. Do we believe that about prayer? 
You say, well, isn't God sovereign in the salvation of men? Doesn't God work in the hearts of men and, and take out hearts of stone? Chad, you use that Ezekiel 36 thing all the time. You talk about Ezekiel 37 where, 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 where Ezekiel was told to preach and as he preached, dead bones who, who had no life in them started moving under the preaching of the Word, came together, formed skeletons, whole bodies, a whole army suddenly rose up and God breathed life into them. Isn't God sovereign in, in, in the salvation? Doesn't He give life and raise the dead when someone gets saved? Absolutely. And and he does it in answer to intercessory prayer. The sovereign God who's, who's decreed and, and how people will be saved and, 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 and whose sovereign power it is that, that raises us from spiritual death. That same God is sovereign, has sovereignly appointed to do it in answer to intercessory prayer. Don't you know somebody who's praying for you when you got saved? I sure do. Do we believe that about prayer? Andrew Murray said, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. Why? Because prayer will move the hand of God to reach the nations with the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 14, Paul says of his chains... Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What did Paul say about his experience in, of being in prison? He said, when I'm in jail, what generally happens is the church on the outside, they get bolder with the gospel. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I went to jail for preaching it. They get more bold in preaching it when I go to jail. Makes perfect sense, right? You tracking along? Do more of what got the guy in jail that... We love and know the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul says that's the way it works. Well, Peter's chains, as we've seen, drove the church to boldness, certainly, but also earnestness in prayer for all, all for the sake of the gospel. You see, Peter's freedom for which they prayed was not an end in itself. It was so he might continue to spread the gospel. How do we know that? Because that's what he did when he got out. Every time he went to jail, what did he do just as soon as he got out? He went and did what they told him not to do, and the reason they threw him into jail, he went to preaching Jesus, telling people about Jesus. John Piper says, it's not surprising that prayer malfunctions. In the church of Jesus Christ, when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts down here in the den... Until you know life, that life is a war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. Hear me, church. Prayer is not to make your life comfortable in Jesus. It is to give you supplies and power and what you need to get the mission accomplished in this world. We are in a war. We're not laying around in the den, and yet we are because we live in America, right? Y'all all right? Chad, it seems like about once a month you, you just hammer us about prayer. Yep. And until you start praying, it's what's going to happen. Samuel Chadwick makes this statement. The one concern... Listen to this. Think about this. Is this true for you? Can, can you identify with this? The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing. Listen to this. Church, listen. Our, our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies. That means Sunday school Bible studies. You with me? You tracking? 
Sunday night, see for yourself, Bible studies. Wednesday night, Bible studies. He he fears nothing from prayerless studies, from prayerless work, from prayerless religion. He laughs, in fact, at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Here's the thing. He knows about prayer. We don't. He believes in the power of God in answer to prayer because he's seen it. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. Why? Because it brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. Listen, it brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. You see, the life lesson here is this. According to His plans and purposes, God works. God works in answer to the prayers of His people. That's the only way you can explain an escape like that of Peter. What did Peter do? He just did what he was told. He just got up, chains fell off, doors opened, and out he went. How does that happen? Only by the divine power of God. Are we praying for things like that to happen in our lives, in the lives of those we know? Are we praying for, for miracles to happen? Do we believe the God we serve is big enough that He can pull that stuff off? Because you see, if we do, then we'll ask Him to. We'll not bring small petitions to the king. We'll realize he's the mighty sovereign of all. And we'll bring great petitions to him when we come to pray. And we'll come. And we'll come often. Jim Symbol, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, said this. The attendance on Sunday morning shows how popular a pastor is. The attendance at prayer meeting shows how popular Jesus is. God will advance His kingdom no matter what as we share the good news of Jesus. Our God is sovereign over and works His purposes in and through executions, escapes, and finally this morning, eaten by worms' deaths. Chad, what in the world are you talking about? Well, Michael Horton said this about God. Nobody today seems to think God is dangerous. And that is itself a dangerous oversight. Chad, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm kind of getting nervous. You're talking about God being dangerous. You're talking about eating by worms' death. What's going on? Verse 20, please. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. Having per- and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for who? For food. They were acting up. Those were, the, those, were those nations just north of, of, of Judea and, and Samaria there, and they needed food from King Herod. But they, they ticked him off. They were afraid they were fixing to get cut off. So they send Blastus and they, they send this contingent and they want peace. Verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. All these people that had come. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Verse 23 says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, that is Herod, down because he did not give glory, give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. In that moment, God made real clear the truth of Isaiah where it says that I will not share, where he said that I will not share my glory with another. 
in that moment, Herod received the worship of the people of Tyre and Sidon. In all his regality and, and, and sitting there on that big throne, he thought he was something. And he took it. He liked what they were saying. That's right. A voice of a God, not of a man. And in that moment, immediately the text says, God Almighty killed him dead and he was eaten by worms. John Piper says, if a man lifts himself up against God, he becomes weaker than a worm. It is insane to commit treason against the creator of the universe. You cannot win. He is God. You know, back in Daniel, this, we've seen this before, haven't we? Back in, kind of. Well, we saw it in, in, within the church in Acts, what was that about, Acts 5, and Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to lie to God. God. God just killed them. Disciplined his own. Took them home. But when we go back to the Old Testament, remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember the story of, of, the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? In Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, his title and his name, I can't get them all together, Nebuchadnezzar, had gotten to a place of great power in the world. And he thought a lot of himself. And God comes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, here's the deal, you think you're all that. Let me tell you what's fixing to happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're fixing to spend seven periods of time, however long that might have been. You're fixing to spend some time out in the fields. You're, you're going to have... You're going to have hair all over your body like feathers cover eagles. You're going to have fingernails that look like talons. You're going you're gonna to be a beast. And you're going to live out in the fields. You, the great king, exalted above all in the world, the one who thinks so much of himself, I'm fixing to humble you. And you're going to eat grass like cows. Guess what happened? He did. And in verse 34, we pick it up. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, isn't this awesome? Don't you love Scripture? God records a pagan king's confession of faith in the God of Israel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, even me, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar said, I couldn't do anything to stop God once he said, this is what's going to happen to you for seven seasons. Finally, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. Listen. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I told you that whole story to tell you that right there, to get to those words. Those who walk in pride, he is able to to humble. And Herod walked in pride and he humbled him all right. The high exalted king was eaten and, and consumed just like dog dung is, eaten by worms. He made him nothing. My professor Bill Larkin again says, all political leaders and followers in whatever day, Theophiluses or ours, and under whatever political system must be duly warned by Herod's defeat. The Lord 
is Lord of all. And he will not share his glory with any other. And by the way, make sure you're worshiping Jesus, King Jesus, and no other ruler on this planet. Amen? Evangelical Church in America, y'all all right? Check your heart. Because it matters. The life lesson as we close. God can handle those who exalt themselves and oppose Jesus and His followers. Sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes He lets the church be persecuted. Sometimes He lets His own people be killed for His glory. Other times He delivers them. Sometimes He takes out pagans who oppose the kingdom. However it works, God will advance His kingdom no matter what as we share the good news of Jesus. That's why Luke ends this chapter in verse 24 by saying, even though all this stuff happened, the Word of God grew and multiplied. It didn't just grow. Luke could have stopped right there, couldn't he? But just to kind of underscore it for Theophilus, just to kind of rub it in for pagans who might get a hold of this, this, this little travel journey uh, journal of his... It didn't just grow, Theophilus. It multiplied. When everything in the world looked like it shouldn't grow at all, it grew. In fact, it didn't double. Didn't just triple. It multiplied. This is our God. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray together.